If you would, please join me in taking out your Bibles once again and turning to Luke chapter 6. Luke chapter 6. As we, or before we spend time in God's Word, let's go to Him in prayer. Our great God and Heavenly Father, indeed, may you be pleased to use your word now as applied by your spirit to change your people. Father, may we be informed, may we be transformed by the powerful but mysterious working of your spirit. So be pleased, Father, to feed your hungry people the truth and grace of your word. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. For some of us, this is going to be more difficult than others, but I want us to all think back. For some, it's a long time back. For others, not so long back. But I I want us to all think back to one of the earliest games that you learned to play. I remember one of my birthday parties, I was probably six or seven, it was outside, mom had done a great job setting it up, and my sister was in charge of games, I remember that. Uh, I don't know if I wanted her to be in charge, but she made herself in charge of games, and I, I remember, it's one of my earliest memories, I might have been five, but it was the game in our yard, of course, red light, green light, right? Everybody lines up. There's a person that stands out and you've got an objective, you want to get to this place and it's red light, green light, green light, red light, right? And I think some variations of the rules, you know, the person turns around and turns back around and sees see somebody moving at red light, you're out, you're out of the game. You see, red light, green light involves listening, understanding, and taking action in response. Now in today's text, Jesus, will see, makes statements that could maybe be viewed as green lights and red lights as he continues to preach the good news of the kingdom of God. We read that earlier in chapter four where Jesus says, I've got to go to other towns, other places, because I've got to preach the good news of the kingdom of God. We're in week number 20 of our walk through Luke. Luke is a witness to the life and ministry of Jesus Christ. Luke's got a plan. He's got a purpose. He writes an orderly account for the purpose of providing certainty about the person and work of Jesus. He wants everyone reading what he wrote to to grow in their certainty that Jesus really is who the Bible says he is. Luke wants the reader then and now to know that Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. All kinds of people lost in all kinds of ways. He wants his reader to be certain, to know for sure that Jesus, this Jesus, is not a figment of imagination. No, he's real. Today, we're going to continue to get to know Jesus as he's made known 
in the Bible. And let's pick up from where we left off last week as he comes down the mountain to a level place. Join with me as I read verses 17 through 19 of chapter 6. And he, that is Jesus, came down with them. That's the 12 disciples that he called and commissioned as his apostles. And he stood on a level place with a great crowd of his disciples and a great multitude of people from all Judea and Jerusalem and the seacoast of Tyre and Sidon, who came to hear him and to be healed of their diseases. And those who were troubled with unclean spirits were cured. And all the crowd sought to touch him, for power came out from him and healed them all. Where had Jesus been? He'd been up on the mountain. He'd been up all night praying to choose. We saw last week that we saw Jesus' prayer. We saw Jesus' people, an odd mix. Ordinary man, a strange mixture. And we saw Jesus' plan to pray and to use people. And when you say use people, let's remember that that can be in the best possible sense. Because God wants to use you and me here at Grace and Peace. He wants to use us in our workplaces, in our families. And my friends, until we get to heaven, one of the joys of life is when you know God is using you. Weak, scared, frail, but you delight that he would use you. And we have that, of course, modeled before us. And we see in this setting of the scene, Jesus is healing, he's teaching, they're coming to hear him, they're coming to be healed. There's power. Jesus is powerful in the word. We've seen that thus far. He's powerful in his touch. But I think we should also see this scene as uh, the internship. Those 12 apostles that have come down the mountain for Jesus. You see, Jesus is not only teaching the multitude. He's not just healing those who come to him who need what only he can do. The... The apostles need to be taught, and Jesus is going to teach them how to serve. In particular, he's going to give them a perspective on the Christian life that would help them know what's ahead in ministry, what to expect in ministry. And so now we come to what is known as the Sermon on the Plain. Um, You might, those of you that are familiar with the Bible might say, wow, this sounds a little bit, maybe a lot like what's in Matthew 5 through 7, the Sermon on the Mount. And scholars and theologians and have poured a lot of time and energy into comparing and contrasting to see and understand the relationship between the Sermon on the Plain, the Sermon on this level place, and the Sermon on the, the Mount. And after a bit of study, I've come to the conclusion that What is happening here is is Jesus is preaching the same but slightly different sermons on various occasions, you know? He's an itinerant evangelist, and he's got his stock messages. 
And Luke, for his purposes, and Matthew, for his purposes, is going to arrange and choose this aspect and that aspect of his message. So when you, when you think of the Sermon on the Plain, which is going to be the focus of the next few weeks, yes, you can think Sermon on the Mount, but I want you to think Luke's purposes in particular, where we've already been in Luke and where we'll be headed. Now, for the next several weeks, again, we're going to work our way through this Sermon on the Plain, which has to do with life and living in the kingdom of God. And today, our focus will be on four blessings in the kingdom of God as announced by Jesus, along with their corresponding woes. So let's pick up with verse 20 and read through verse 26. And he, that is Jesus, lifted up his eyes on his, on his disciples and said, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who are hungry now, for you shall be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you shall laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you, and when they exclude you and revile you and spurn your name as evil on account of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy, for behold, your reward is great in heaven, for so their fathers did to the prophets. Now first, a few comments about blessing and woe. When we hear the word blessed, it's not so much, although there's aspects to it of a subjective happiness, as it is an objective state of God's favor. God, through Jesus, is pronouncing certain people blessed, certain people that have his favor. And we also have that word woe. You don't have that in this part of the Sermon on the Mount. You have nine Beatitudes in the early part of the Sermon on the Mount. Here you've got four Beatitudes, four blessed, but also four corresponding parallel woes. And here I believe the woe is not so much condemnation. It's not so much saying cursed are, but it's headed there. But as it is with lamentation, uh, the great New Testament scholar Leon Morris, the late Leon Morris, said when you see this word woe, it's like saying alas or how terrible. It's an expression of regret. It's a, it's a compassionate expression. It is, it is reflecting this is tragic. Jesus, like the psalmist, opens up the Psalter with two ways of life. Two ways of life. Blessings that come with godliness, woes that come with worldliness. And what's interesting as we work our way through this, I think what we'll see is what brings blessing or woe is almost exactly the opposite of what most people think. You see, Jesus we'll see, takes what no one wants, poverty, hunger, sorrow, persecution, 
and he gives it his blessing. And Jesus takes what everybody wants, money, food, entertainment, popularity, and he says, they never satisfy. Jesus teaches his disciples too in the words of Michael Wilcock to prize what the world calls pitiable and suspect, suspect what the world thinks desirable. You see, already with Jesus' arrival, the, you're going to see the upside-down nature of the kingdom. You're going to see the great reversal. Mary and the Magnificat already saw that the low were going to be lifted and the high were going to be brought down. Again, Jesus takes what no one wants and he gives it his blessing. And he takes what everybody wants. He says it's not going to last. It's not going to satisfy. So what are some of the blessings in the kingdom of God as declared by Jesus? Well, first of all, there's the blessing of poverty. The blessing of poverty. We see it. Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Now, those of you that might say, wait a minute, isn't it the poor in spirit? Well, yeah, in Matthew it is, but here in Luke, remember, in Jesus' first sermon, Luke 4, he, he's quoting, what, back to Isaiah 64? Excuse me, Isaiah 61. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has, the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor, he has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted. Luke will show us that there's going to be a lot of poor people that start following Jesus. And so what's the green light here of this blessing? Now, poverty in and of itself is not a blessing. You see, somebody doesn't say, I'm giving away everything I've got. I'm going to live as a pauper and I will have God's blessing. No, that's not what it's saying. It's saying that although poverty itself is not a blessing, people who are poor yet have Christ, have God's blessing. In other words, the kingdom of God is not going to be exclusively reserved for the wealthy, the people of means. Blessed are you who are poor. In spite of poverty, in spite of present poverty in the here and now, they were in, they are in possession of an everlasting kingdom. Again, yours is the kingdom of God. The poor are blessed not because their aesthetics or they're blessed because they have nothing. They're blessed because of what is promised. But you know, there's a corresponding parallel statement. And it's down in verse 24. And it says this. But woe to you who are rich, for you have received your consolation. Woe to you who are rich, for you have received 
your consolation. There's a green light, there's a red light, and this red light is a warning. It's, we see it in Paul's letters to Timothy. We see it, of course, in James. Rich now, poor later in eternal things. Rich now, it might be hard, as Jesus tells his disciples, to come into the kingdom. Rich now, you're rich now. That's it. You're, you've got the consolation. You, 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 you're paid in full. You've got it now. You won't have it later. And there are going to be some great things that we're going to see in Luke as we make our way through where Jesus addresses this in vivid detail. The blessing of poverty. So the first blessing and woe have to do with poverty. But the second, as we know, has to do with hunger. The blessing of hunger. Look at verse 21. Blessed are you who are hungry now, for you shall be satisfied. Now, we know that Scripture talks about that the God who provides for the poor also feeds the hungry. And it can be in a literal sense, um, but I think even though it's not mentioned expressly, there's a more spiritual sense going on. Blessed are you who are hungry, who have a hunger for God, who hunger and thirst for God. And think about where we were in the songs of the incarnation. Think about Anna and Simeon. Think about Zechariah and Elizabeth. Think about Joseph and Mary. Poor, hungry for God, longing for God, a hunger and a thirst, a believing of God's promises. The blessing of hunger, the green light, as it were. Hungry now, what does it say? You shall be, you will be satisfied. But there's a red light. Look with me at verse 25. Woe to you who are full now, for you shall be hungry. Woe to you, those who have no appetite for the things of God, for God himself. Woe to those who are spiritually complacent. Woe to those who do not hunger and thirst to know and love and obey the one that made them. The blessing of hunger, the, the woe of hunger. Yeah, you're full now, right? But you shall be hunger. And again, it's gonna be great to get to those places where Jesus talks about life here and now and life there and then, and compares and contrasts. So that second blessing has, and woe has to do with hunger, and the third has to do with sorrow. We continue in verse 21, blessed are you who weep now, for you shall laugh. Suffering in a fallen world, why should we weep? Well, our own sin. Who of us 
has not wept over our own sin? Who of us has not wept over the sin of others? Who has not wept for the sins of society? Who has not wept for the lost, for those who suffer? You know, Paul says that we grieve, but not as people without hope. And so when we lose to death a loved one, there's a cause for weeping. And Jesus says, blessed are the sorrowful now. There's a green light, but there's also a red light. Look at the end of verse 25 or the second half of verse 35. 25, woe to you who laugh now, for you shall mourn and weep. Woe to you who laugh now, for you shall mourn and weep. I think we've all known people, we may sometimes just have to look in the mirror to see people at times, living only for laughs. They are silly, they're shallow, they're superficial, even when it's time to be serious. Woe to you who laugh now, who are the life of the party now. Is this saying that Christians shouldn't laugh, shouldn't be joyful, shouldn't, shouldn't pat each other on the back and have a, a good time? Of course not. Ecclesiastes, a time to mourn, a time to dance. Of course not. But Jesus here is distinguishing between the here and now, the temporary, and the eternal. So how, how would you characterize yourself right now? Someone who's sorrowful? Someone who's the life of the party. I mean, I think our entertainment industry, right? Sorrow doesn't really sell, does it? Laughter, frivolity sells. You've got your reward in full here and now, Jesus is saying. This third blessing and woe has to do with sorrow. But now we move to one that has, looks like the most ink, persecution, the blessing of persecution. Verse 22, blessed are you when people hate you and when they exclude you and revile you and spurn your name as evil on account of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy, for behold, your reward is great in heaven, for so their fathers did to the prophets. Wow. Don't be surprised when people hate you. You are blessed when people hate you, exclude you, revile you, spur count your name as evil. My friends, there's a passage somewhere. Woe to those of you that call good evil and evil good. to be hated, for your name to be thought of as evil on account of Jesus, on account of 
the Son of the Man. It's suffering for the sake of the gospel. It is not suffering. It is not persecution. It is not being hated because you are offensive. You're a jerk. If you need to understand that better, go to 1 Peter. You know, if you're going to suffer, suffer for being a Christian, not as a criminal, and not as a... Is, there a, is, is jerk a biblical word? It probably brings together a lot of biblical words. There's a green light here. It's being hated, being persecuted on account of the Son of Man. Remember in Acts chapter 5, then they left the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to to suffer dishonor for the name. Paul writes to Timothy that all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Rejoice, Jesus says, in that day and leap for joy. Your reward is great in heaven Not a reward of merit, but something that just is the consequence of enduring and persevering under unjust hatred, exclusion, discrimination. Because you're not following morals, not trying to be a good citizen, but but following Jesus. And what's the red light? Look at, look at the end verse, verse 26. Woe to you when all people speak well of you, for so the fathers did to the prophets. You see, on the green light, Jesus wants people to look back to Israel's history. The, prut, the true prophets, the ones who spoke on behalf of God, they were persecuted, not by the pagan nations as much as they were by their own people. We are, as Christians, to have a good reputation with outsiders. But we are not to be people pleasers who live for applause, who seek popularity. Because, you see, the the green light is persecution and the red light is popularity. It still astounds me when I think about it those of us who, who know Jesus, how could he not be more popular? He's bringing heaven to earth. He's showing us the way to the Father. He's doing what it takes for us to be forgiven. How could someone like that be persecuted? And again, it's a look back to Israel's history, the false prophets, those who teach itching ears, those who are saying what the people want to hear, not what they need to hear. Blessed are you, blessed are you, blessed are you, blessed are you. Did you notice the plural? Woe. To you, woe to you, woe to you, woe to you. Did you notice the plural? You see, if you're living this life 
all on your own, trying to do it on your own. I, I don't know how, if you're poor, hungry, you're weeping now, you're hated, I don't know how you make it. The church, the body of Christ, my friends, I think one of the ways that we are able to know that we are blessed when we lack things of this world, one of the ways that we know that we're not satisfied by what the earth can offer, but only what God can offer, those of us who through sorrow and sadness, tears are flowing more often than not, and if we are being rejected and excluded, if we didn't have one another, how could we make it? It's plural. Blessed are you, brothers and sisters. Blessed are you, followers of Jesus. Blessed are you, Christians. Blessed are you, body of Christ. These four blessings are followed by four parallel woes. And this is like a balance that Luke tends to do to reflect this theme of reversal. You know, it's what goes up must come down. Kind of spinning wheel got to go round as whoever that was that sang that song. The poor are elevated. The rich are brought down. The humble are lifted up. The proud are put down. It's what you're going to see throughout Luke. But I want us to revisit where we began. I, I want us to revisit red light, green light. Because um, it's not so much really a game as it is a dashboard. Not so much a game as it is a dashboard where the green lights are saying, you're doing okay. Things are operating properly. You don't have a lot in this world. You're a Christian. You're, you got the kingdom of God. You're not satisfied by what the world can offer. You, you will be satisfied. You're weeping now. You'll laugh later. But there's some red lights on that dashboard as well. I've got everything I need. I'm satisfied. I'm, I am full. I'm, I'm satisfied. I'm, I'm laughing now. Can it get any better than this? Everybody thinks I'm great. Whoa. Red light on the dashboard. It's a caution light. Slow down. It may be a danger signal that says stop. Jesus is speaking to his disciples. You see that? And he lifted up his eyes on his disciples and said, he's speaking to his disciples and he's doing what the, the Puritan preachers used to say they were doing. They're, they're dividing the audience. Now on the one side are those who are poor, hungry, sorrowful, persecuted, because of Jesus now. 
And on the other side are those who are rich, full, laughing, and popular now. Jesus, you see, is dividing his audience between those who are focused on the temporary and those who live focused on the eternal. Those who are focused on the world and those who are focused on the world. You know, that saying we've all heard, those who are so heavenly minded are no earthly good. Actually, those who are heavenly minded because they've got their eye on the eternal, they've got their eye on what's coming, can actually do the most good now. So Jesus divides his audience, those who hear him. So we've got to ask ourselves, where, where do we stand when it comes to Jesus and his pronouncements of blessing and woe? Look back with me at verse 20 once again. And he lifted up his eyes on his disciples. My friends, let us now lift our eyes and look to Jesus. And who do we see? We see one who was poor and hungry. We see one who was a man of sorrows, despised, rejected. The one who, though he was rich, became poor so that we, by his poverty, would become rich in the things that matter. Who do we see? A poor man, a hungry man, a man of sorrows, one who was despised and rejected for us and our salvation. My friends, Jesus was cursed because of what we deserved so that we could be blessed by what he deserved. So that we maybe in glimpses now, but certainly in day to come, that we would be rich and full and rejoicing in those things that will last forever. You know, we've all had those experiences. I wish this would never end when it's going good, right? I wish I could stand here on this mountain and see this sunset. I wish it would, this restaurant, this food, I could eat this forever. Oh, your friendship, please don't move away. My friends, we know in part now what we will one day know in full and all of the good things in life whet our appetite for that which is to come. Jesus takes what we don't want and says, it's got God's blessing. Jesus takes what we want and says that it doesn't satisfy. My friends, may we want 
what Jesus wants for us. And he will be glad to provide that which truly satisfies. You see, God's blessing is found in surprising places, is it not? God's blessing rests on those people who rest in Jesus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your word that not only affirms us, but your word which contradicts us. Your word which not only lifts us up, but your word which knocks us down. Well, Father, be pleased to use these blessings and these woes to arrest our attention. Help us to slow down if needed, to stop if needed, but then to run hard after Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. We give you thanks, Father, for your word. May your spirit work it deep into our lives. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.